I think we're good with audio. Let's let's roll, Andrew. Awesome. Welcome, 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 Join Andrew Wall, Hector Garcia, and Michael Lee. One mission, one rule, make accounting fun. Welcome to Friday Night Live with Accountants. Are you ready? Welcome, welcome. I can't get my uh, equipment working properly today. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing good. good. We got Jacob here. Jacob, tell us... Uh, little bit about uh, what's new. I don't remember the last time you were a guest, probably a couple it's, months ago. Yeah, it's what's been a few in, months. What's uh, you in your practice? What's you in your world? Yeah, it's tax season. So obviously, deep in the weeds in the tax side of things. Um, hired someone to do help us out on tax side. So that's helped some, but then also doing a lot of advisory work and not just financial advisory of doing strategic planning, um, helping organizations figure out their operational side of things. Um, and that's a lot of new stuff there. So getting a little bit out of the financial and even going up a level in advisory to the full-blown operations consulting side. That's awesome. And, my, and uh, you just came back from vacation, right, Andrew? I did. Uh, had a good time. Hold on. Who, who, who goes on vacation in February if you got the letters CPA after your last name? Can you explain this to me? I, you know what? I come by it honestly. My dad has been going away to Mexico for six weeks uh, at the start of January for like the last 30 years. Um, and his whole motto is, if your business can't run without you, you don't really have a business, do you? Um, and I love the mentality, but it can be a little stressful the day before you leave and certainly the, the few days after you get back. So this week was definitely a little bit heads down. I know a couple people were uh, messaging me and being like, are you still alive? I'm like, I'm, I'm around. I've just been, you know, heads down in the business and then a bit of vacation and back down into the weeds. So it's, it's been good. We've, um, we have a different uh, tax deadline. We're working on T4s and T5s uh, up here. Uh, I'll do by the end of this month. So we have, you know, about a week or so left. Isn't uh, T4 the title of ter the fourth Terminator movie? <laughs> yeah, I think it might be. <laughs> T5 the fifth? <laughs> yeah. In, in many ways, tax returns are the, are the things that is going to turn computers to uh, to turn on us, I think. Right. Well, I mean, the Terminator is all about AI taking over the world, right? So, right. Exactly. It's true. So I came back from um, I came back from a mini vacation uh, camping in the woods. And, and believe it or not, I'm, I'm almost 40 years old and I've never done that before. Uh, so apparently I had a child a sad childhood, but uh, my my friend who does this a lot um, finally dragged us into it, and we went uh, we went four families with the kids, and we went to a place um, close to Ocala. And it was a camping site, and uh, we set up our tents and we slept you know slept outside and 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 uh, ate everything from uh, from the campfire. You know we had charcoal for the campfire and wood for hanging out at night. Uh, it was a really really awesome experience. My kids loved it. My wife not so much, but uh, <laughs> but but it's really really neat and a really inexpensive way, you know, to have a really great experience with your kids. I think. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of camping. Um, the one thing I've learned is if you if you step it up a notch with your gear, which Hector I know you'll be into, you can get your wife into it a little bit more. So it's you gotta you gotta balance that line between camping and glamping. 
Um, I did bring all my gear. I brought my camera, my microphone. Okay, that's no, not he means bad. he means where you're sleeping. <laughs> no, no, no. I was With kidding. The was tent kidding. over your head. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think your wife's going to be as impressed with your DSLR as she's sleeping on the floor of a tent. Yeah, she wants the full cot for sure. Yeah. You know, at least the cot. You can get the nice cots. Well, you got to go with the blow-up air mattress and not like the single level one. You got to go like the, the, the double. double. That works as well. Very nice. Yeah. I, I did get that. I did get that. I do have the double air mattresses. That, that was checked. Yeah. I, I think, you know, obviously we shouldn't spend too much time on this, but the, the bathroom situation is the most complicated one of it all. But uh, generally speaking, we were all really happy with it. So you know what I did for that? We bought one of those um, one of those portable toilets that you can get that is, and we had a separate little tent just so my wife could have a little toilet. Yeah. She would have to walk <laughs> off to the public bathroom. Did you guys, uh, did you guys bring kitty litter so you can manage the the waste or no? Yeah, she wasn't really dropping the boys off in in, in the bucket. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I think she was more uh, worried about uh, number number one than number two. Sure, sure. Um, all right, so let's change topics. Although we should probably we should probably do we should do like a camping conference. I, I think that would be kind of cool. Um, let's um, we wanted to talk about the term trusted advisor. I think that uh, we maybe we've talked about advisory before, but I would love to know, you know, as I know all three of you guys do beyond the tax returns and all, all three of us, I mean, beyond tax returns, beyond the standard accounting, uh, you know, we try to at least, you know, proportionally offer a lot more advisory than the mechanical work because one is, is more valuable and two is a sticky product, right? So customers are least likely to leave you if you are uh, giving them proactive advice, but what does uh, what, what does advisory not mean to you? I guess let's start with that. I'll start with you, Jacob. What what is advisory not, or what what is trusted advisory not? What it's not is just doing the compliance. So client drops it off, you hand them back a printed return, and let them sign the document, and never have a conversation. Right from a tax perspective, from a bookkeeping perspective, it's simply just doing after the fact bookkeeping shoving all the data in and walking away, right? Um, that's not advisory at all. That's not even moving into there or even beginning to step in the realm there of advisory. So when you say what's not advisory, that's probably where I start. You know, the topic advisory, depending on the person, can be really, really broad, you know, from cash flow forecasting to simply asking, you know, do you have insurance for this? Well, now you just advise them on things. So um, I like to say it's just dealing with the data and cranking it out um, is probably what I would say advisory is not. Yeah, get just and you, uh, you Andrew? Yeah, I, it's hard to add on to that. I think, you know, it's just getting the numbers right, you know, which is the bare minimum. It's the beginning, um, certainly not the end of the process. And I think, um, you know, if that's all you're doing, you certainly can't call yourself an advisor in any way, shape or form. Um, whether you can even call yourself trusted, I guess that's another question. Oh. I, um, you know, I think, you know, tr trust is one of those things that it's implied, you know, like for someone to, to use trust as, you know, this is why it's important to work with me or my clients trust me. It's like, dude, really, they're giving you their social security numbers. They're giving you tax returns. They're giving you, some of them tell you their most intimate, you know, things. 
you know, to 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 say, oh, it's because they trust me. It, it, trust is implied. You know, I, I don't think any customers will ever go to an accountant that they don't trust and then saying, oh, I hope it proves to me that that I, he can be trustworthy. I mean, I think it's baked in the cake when someone hires you that they trust you. Of course, there's different levels of trust, but there there should be some basic trust right off the bat. And I think that the gap that some of us need to make is we think that once our customers trust us, that first level of trust, that's that's it. Um, and I think there's a second layer of trust, which is not just trust that person as a professional or experienced person or with their judgment, but also trust them to care proactively for for me as a client uh, as if he was my friend. Like, and, and obviously it's not implied that for you to be trusted advisory, you need to be their friend, but, they, but, but what they wanna do is they wanna entrust you to care about their situation, not just passively trust you to keep their information safe. So I think there's two layers of trust that that is sort of the gap that we need to bridge sometimes. And, there, and there's other layers of trust. Like I had a client, uh, I think it was last year, that told me, hey, you know, my wife was diagnosed with a, with, um, with, a, with, with a disease that, you know, there's a high probability of, 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 of she passing. And I myself, I'm not so, uh, so, uh, so healthy. Would you mind if I name you as a potential executor of my will? I mean, that's, I would think that's the top, top, top layer. I mean, like I almost cried out of, you know, out of, out of, out of, uh, out of pride that I was able to build such a relationship with someone where they would trust, trust me at that level, which is like trusting someone after you pass, you know, it's like a whole nother, whole nother level of trust. And, uh, and usually you only really can do that with a family member or a long-term childhood friend, but as a professional for, for you to get there, people have to build another sort of next level relationship with. Now, this doesn't happen to me all the time. It just happened to me once and that's it. But it was enough to make me feel something I never felt before, which is, wow, I, I'm, I'm now entrusted, not just as a professional, but I'm entrusted as a, as a wholehearted human being that's going to have judgment after the person passes and treat my family and whatever the heirs are uh, fairly, right? So I think that's that, that's just really cool. Uh, so uh, Jacob, let's. Uh, what are what are some of those from your perspective? Some layers of trust that you build. So you 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 come in and they trust you on that basic level. What are those layers of trust that you build over time? Maybe in your experience, what have you done? Some examples with 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 clients, and and maybe we'll talk also talk about the opposite of that. How how, how do we break that trust, or what can we do to break it? Yeah, obviously, most of our clients, when they start working with us, I think you're right, have that basic level of trust. They're like, we trust you with our data. We trust you that you know how much money's in our bank account, and you're not going to go tell everybody else in the world, right, about our personal information. But then I think as we move into advisory, it's getting them to trust us on that next step of when I need to make a decision, I'm going to pick up the phone and ask you, what decision should I make? Um and I think that's level to get to. And it starts, there's levels in between there. I'm going to call you and ask you what you think about things and kind of just get your opinion on it. Then I'm going to call you and say, what should I do? And I'm let, I went from opinion to your words gospel, right? And that's kind of the, the layer in there. And then it's um, kind of like you said, 
I place complete trust in you. Here's our business situation. Just do it for us. Just make it happen. Help us make it happen. Right. And whatever you say, we're going to jump and we're going to do. Um, and then there's the level you just talked about where I trust you so implicitly that even after I'm dead and gone, I want you to control what happens. Um, and because I know you'll make sure my family's taken care of and give them the best advice that you can have. So I think that's kind of the layers in there of going from trusting you with the information to value you in your opinion to needing your approval to do something probably to then I'm only doing what you say <laughs> to I'm handing the reins over to you after I'm gone or even now. Yeah. I mean, I would think that you, it's sort of like, to me, there's sort of three evolutions of trust. Like you talk, talk about is there's the trust in the data, which is almost inherent. It's a given. It's like giving your credit card to, you know, someone at a restaurant, you trust them to come back with your credit card. And, and the next step after that is um, trusting the quality of your work and the quality of your skill set to actually deliver on the things that you're saying to help them add value to their business, which is sort of like giving them, you know, the pass, the password to, to your bank card, you know, now they're helping you, you're helping them to grow their business and drop and drive their bottom line. And, and the, that last level is, is that you actually care about them. Um, and you're concerned for them as an individual, individual building that trust that Hector talks about, where you have people who are willing to, um, literally use you as a trustee um, in their estate. I mean, that's that's the ultimate level, which is to me sort of like giving someone your cell phone and giving them access to your cell phone, which is sort of the ultimate level. And, and maybe there's baby steps all the way along, but I, I sort of see there as being like three macro levels of trust that, you know, I think you start off at the base level and that's just inherent until you, until you fuck up, uh, pardon the language, until you have some form of a data breach or loss of confidentiality um and the next phase of you know are you actually good at your job can you actually add value and drive um help these people with the advisory side of the practice that's actually going to help them grow and succeed um that is something that has to be earned um whether that's earned by demonstrating your skill set uh in public forums helping out other people it's demonstrated with referrals uh from people that they trust uh, it's something that has to be earned and demonstrated maybe over time or through recommendation and demonstration. Um, and, and that third level really is only earned and created um, through long-term established relationships. And um, it, it occurred to me what you were, what you were saying that um, about, okay, cause, cause you talk about earning the trust and, and, and sometimes you, you can only earn trust with your actions and people usually tend to trust your consistency over the year of, of doing what you say you're going to do or doing the same thing or not deviating or getting bored with one thing. So pe people have this external view of the professional and based on you know how often they've been consistent at the same place, doing the same thing over and over, people do build trust that way. But there's other ways to build trust other than just being professional and being ethical, which is, um, which is sort of all about the conversations you have with your customers. And I was teaching a class a couple of days ago to, um, to a couple of small business bankers in, um, and, and I was talking over several points and something I said sort of passing, it wasn't even like the main theme, but something I said, which is the way you get your customers to trust you is 
when you are when you listen to them. And I keep going and somebody goes, wait, 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 can you repeat that? And I said, yeah, the way customers uh, trust you is when they feel that you listen to them. And they're like, huh, that's a bit counterintuitive. And, and, and it is for the most part, because you think that you build trust by talking, you know, which is, if you think about it, does anybody trust any politicians? So <laughs> the reality is no, that's all they do. All they do is talk and talk and talk, right? But, um, but, uh, but what ends up happening, I think, and I'm not a psychologist, but I think that, and psychologist, I think the whole psychological profession proves this, is that the patient over time trusts the psychologist because they're speaking the whole time. You know, and, and you even, like I've been to, to therapists and, and usually they say things like, really, what makes you say that? And they shut up and, they, and then you go on and on. Or they say, uh-huh, and how did that make you feel? And they shut up and then they let you talk. So if you actually ever been to uh, like a therapist or a psychologist and you actually timed who's talking, the, the therapist usually does 5% or less of the talking and what's happening over time, the patient trusts the therapist more and more and they talk more. And, and, and it's interesting because the, psych, the psychologist is the other way. You know, I don't think any psychologist trusts their patients. <laughs> if you think about it, right? They don't, you know, they're like all these, all of these people are crazy, you know, but think about, think about how, how it worked, right? So the person that did the talking is the one that earned the trust of the person that did almost nothing. So it, it's a crazy counterintuitive thing that, that, we, that we all are aware that trust is the biggest, most important thing in the world. And at the same time, the way you build it is by doing nothing. <laughs> Jacob, have you had that experience? Yeah, and it is, but I think it actually drills deeper too. And I think about the advisory conversation as a whole. And as you were saying, 5% of it is the psychologist talking, right? 95% of it is them gathering information to be able to provide the correct answer back to you or the correct question back. And I think this translates really well of 95% of our time has to be on the collection of information. And many times that is through listening to the client and gathering that data. And what I think builds trust as much as listening to them is being responsive to them, but you can't be responsive if you don't know what they need or what they think they need, right? Because you could actually just jump in and solve their issue, but you didn't solve the issue that they thought they had which means they don't trust you, even though you just improved their business a whole bunch because you didn't listen to them and address the need they thought they had, as well as maybe solving the real issue. You're never gonna develop that trust. So I agree 100% that so much of the advisory piece is listening more than talking and instructing, right? It's that data gathering side and helping them feel comfortable with you and getting them to the point that they feel like you understand where they're coming from because when they feel like you don't understand where they're coming from, they're never going to trust the advice you give them. And remembering, right? I think, uh, sorry, Andrew, I'm saying, and remembering, because you're saying you have to be paying attention and you want to give advice based on what they said and respond for a lot of it is remembering, but I don't think so much remembering, but at least giving the illusion of remembering, yes. which is, and this is right, something that Andrew is very passionate about, you know, this is where a CRM system becomes a really useful tool, right? Like, hey, last year, 
we spoke about this specific issue. I, like some of us have great memories. Like I have great memories. Like I'll, right. I can remember a lot of stuff about my customers and I'm not so good at putting things in the CRM. My team does, because for some reason I got great memory. Everybody in my team has, uh, you know, has Alzheimer's, next day Alzheimer's. <laughs> so they have to put things in, uh, in, uh, in a CRM system. But, but it's when you remember a detail that people go, whoa, you know, or at least again, you could have read it from the, you, I mean, for the most part, customers don't care if you read it in your notes, but at least read it, you know, like don't you hate when you go to the doctor and then they, rem they don't remember anything zero about you. And they ask you the same questions that they asked the last time. And you're like, you know, if you're asking the same question, are we making any progress whatsoever? Even if there's no progress to make, it's just that the, the feeling of having to repeat yourself or having to explain something again, again, even within the context that, oh, I know you're a busy accountant and you have a thousand clients or you're a busy doctor and you have a thousand clients, at least give me the illusion that you're prepared to take our conversation yesterday that was a one to now a two. Like, let's not stay in one or go 1.1 because we're going to spend 30, 40 minutes, you know, reminiscing, you know, the last thing that we spoke about. So I think that either you, you have to have great memory uh, to be able to be a great advisor or just be great at recording stuff. I'm gonna say we need to be great at recording things. You can get by by having a good memory. <laughs> I, I do the good memory side and I agree. We get by with a good memory, but that doesn't build a good scalable organization at, at all. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think, you know, that's one of the things too is, is when you talk about how you actually um, scaling, right? You've got to figure out systems and processes because if you're just like, well, I'm great. I can always remember things and I know how to, you know, listen, absorb, reiterate, add value, right? Which is sort of the process you want to go through to demonstrate and build trust, right? You've got to listen, you've got to absorb, you've got to reiterate and you've got to add value. Um, but if you've got a larger organization, how do you ensure that that process is happening on a consistent basis? And as Hector said earlier, that that's why I'm so passionate about having tools and technology, um, because if you're only as good as you know yourself or your best employee, you're never going to be able to scale and grow that operation, um, or beyond that, deliver consistency on a long-term basis. Because Hector might be amazing and have the greatest memory, but every once in a while, Hector goes on a camping trip, right? Every once in a while, Hector heads up to Canada, and he's not there to be the, you know, the knowledge resource, the Oracle that everyone in the organization can go to and be like, do you remember this customer? Why, why are we having this issue? What, what's, what's, what does he do again? What, what, you know, how do we deal with this guy? What's, what's the issue? How do we help him? Um, and without Hector there and without the systems in place, how does, how does the team go on? So true. And that's, I know that's something we're starting to build an organization um, with growth it's forced us to, right? As we transition that down. Um, I can't be that uh, main resource anymore. It has to be off me, right? And I'm the, the bottleneck if I am. So as you scale, I think those systems become super important and are part of becoming a trusted advisor because they have to also trust your team. And if your team never knows the answer, but is their main point of contact, now you've just ruined your brand of being a trusted advisor by your team not being developed where it needs to be. Absolutely. 
Now, one of the other things, too, I wanted to talk about, Hector, which is a point you um, touched on earlier, is what do you do um, when you've broken someone's trust? And can that ever be rebuilt? Um, and what if someone on your team breaks the trust? Does that then inherit automatically to you and or the organization? Um, you know, I have my own opinions on it, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So, so we got two questions here. One is, we, we break the trust, whether it's the owner of the business, a CPA or an employee, how do you gain it back, I guess, or is it even worth trying to gain it back? I guess that's, that's the first one. And the second question is, hey, what happens when a team member does it? You know, what, what is the right course of action? You know, what type of responsibility do we as a firm owner or organization has with our customers? You say that that's, those are the two questions, right? Yeah. All right, so let's, so let's start with the first one. Um, sometimes uh, trust is also around having skin in the game or, or, and being willing to lose financially when you make a mistake. I would say that's one of them. That's not all of them, but that's one of them. So what I mean by that is if you make a mistake and you lead with, Mr. Customer, I refunded you, right? And shut up. Let the person, let the, let the person, uh, you know, kind of take that in, right? Let, let them take it in, let, let them visualize the money going back into the bank account and let that portion, which is an excuse, you know, to complain, to go away and then go, we, and, and then the first thing I think you have to do is say, we made the mistake. I made the mistake. I screwed up. The, the, the two first things that customers want to hear, one is, you know, do I have to fight about money? And if that goes away, you take away a lot, I mean, a lot of the stress. And two is, do I need to prove to him that he was his mistake that is on his side? So you start with, you lead with those two and you take away 90% of the stress that the customer was coming with all the rage that the customer was coming on. And then the second step is, what do you want to do, right? So if you need, if you feel that what we did is so terrible that we can never earn your trust again, then allow me to make it as easy as possible to transition this somewhere else. As of now, I just refunded. So technically you're not my customer um, and you can take that money and go to another service provider and I will proactively help you do whatever it takes to make the transition work. Because for me, your well-being is more important. And I understand that sometimes certain actions you really can't take back and it's really difficult to win the trust back. However, if you think that we can win the trust back, if you think we can win your business again, if you think we can get you to go from a one-star review to a five-star review, you tell me, what do you think we should do? And then shut up and let the person vent. Because one of the, the, the biggest issues, and again, why did you break the trust in the first place? In our profession is we slipped and emailed someone else, somebody's tax return, uh, you know, even though it's password protected, we CC the wrong person or whatever, right? So regardless, that looks horrible, by the way. You know, like if, I, if, if I, your CPA sends your tax return and copies another Kristen, not your wife, Kristen, your wife, some other random Kristen. So again, you know, so and these things happen. I've seen that. I've seen them. So so that could be one or two. You, you, you promised them by XYZ deadline, you would do it. And for whatever reason, you, could, you couldn't do it or you screwed up, right? You, you, you tell them, I understand what, I know what I'm doing. You get audited. It turned out that you didn't. And, you know, so there's many things that we can do uh, professionally that we don't mean to do. We're not breaking ethics or anything, or at least 
we, we, we know of it. And for whatever reason, time management, money, resources, uh, mistakes, lack of knowledge, we couldn't deliver. Of course, we're going to break uh, trust. So that, that's, I mean, within that context. Now, I know there's other levels of trust, like, you know, I've disclosed some information to my, uh, you know, their, his part, my client's partner, and I didn't know, but they were breaking up, right? And that information, you know, so, so there's, there's some things that are just so specific that you probably can't do anything about. Like you screwed up, you screwed up. What, what can you do? But so I, I would say I will lead with that. Um, you know, and again, sometimes people, uh, we break trust and it's not our mistake. Um, and, and some of my colleagues are probably not going to want to refund uh, their customers because it's not the fair thing to do. And a lot of us get hung up in the concept of fairness. And I got to tell you, I prefer to pay someone a thousand bucks than to get a one-star rating. This is today's world that we're in, right? Um, because we spend $10,000 to try to get two five-star ratings. So if you think about it, you know, it's, it's, it's worth it anyway. Right? So if that refund is going to save me that aggravation, I'll do it. But I get it. You know, sometimes it's the customer's fault and we, we want to act fairly and we, and we think that uh, we're incentivizing the behavior that we shouldn't be incentivizing if we cave in and give the money back or, or whatever. But, but in some cases, that's what it is. And in other cases, you can give half of it back. Like you can immediately give half of it back and say, hey, by the way, uh, you know, both of us think that there's fault in both sides. I know you think that's more on my side. Yours, let's start by giving you the money, the half of the money back. And then start at that point where you're saying, look, I'm going to acknowledge half of this problem. Now you acknowledge the other half. So I mean, there's different techniques. And, and at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's your approach, right? If, if, you, if you come in humble, head down, saying I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to fix it, even if I can't win you back as a customer, typically that eats away 90% of the stress. Yeah, and I think that that's, you're absolutely right. That, like, that has to be the approach, no matter what the level of trust that's been broken. But I think you also made a really critical distinction is, you know, what is the level of trust that's been broken? Because there are certain levels that become unrepairable. And at what point you certainly do want to mitigate those, you know, one-star reviews as you talked about, but are you ever going to be that guy's client again? Who knows? Um, but in some situations, the answer is probably not. But in most of those situations, so many of those situations, which are the more common ones, like you talked about, they, like I guarantee you there's, people who are listening to this podcast right now who have accidentally sent the wrong return to someone else. I know it's happened in our firm um, and the level of frustration that that creates for the customer. Cause they're like, well, if I got someone else's who got mine and you know, who has my financial information, it, it creates fear um, and trust. And I think that you, if you own it and you take responsibility, that's such a critical aspect of it. Um, and, at the very least, that's going to bring down the emotions. I love your approach to this. Um, now, where do you get this approach, Hector? Was there any books that you read or are there any good customer service books that you'd recommend on how to manage trust? And, and after that, I'd love to hear from Jacob too on his thoughts on, on how he handles um, issues with trust. I think we lost Hector. So, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think Hector might be gone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, breaches of trust always happen, right? Whether we want them to or not, miscommunication and things get dropped, breaches of trust will happen with clients. I think that's an important thing to recognize up front. Like it's going to happen. If you're in practice, 
at some point in your career, you will have a breach of trust. And you may have done everything right in your opinion, but it wasn't the understanding of the client that you did not do what the client wanted due to simple miscommunication at times. And it's a breach of trust and they feel like you materially let them down. And as your team grows, this grows as well because the layers of complexity and communication become greater, right? And the low level person that got the communication didn't realize the impact that that communication had, didn't elevate it to you necessarily, which means it didn't get addressed. And the client's like, I needed that. And because of that, things happened, right? So I think one of the important things is to always understand breaches of trust are going to happen. And when they happen, it's just a fact of life. Like it's not the end of the world and come at this with, of how do we make it better than it is today, right? In most of these situations, you're not gonna be able to restore things to perfect. You're looking for what is a better solution than what we have right now. Um, and taking that step opens the door up a lot. And I love Hector's approach of, let me refund you. Okay, I can't fix what's happened. Let me make it better though, right? So he just took a major step in making that situation better, um, which goes a long way to starting building trust again, right? By making the situation one step better. If you have recourse of somehow you can fix the problem, go all in on it, right? Show the client that it matters to you and that you're gonna go above and beyond to do what you can. Um, and sometimes you don't need the refund from that standpoint because you're gonna go do extra on some other side. So instead of giving them monetary value back, you're giving them additional um, value in some way. Um, so I think, but making it better for them. No, you can't restore what was, but the focus of let's make this better goes a long way. Um, then I wanted to touch on your other question too of, you know, when a team member breaches trust, can you as a business owner keep that trust or are those too tightly tied, you know, too tightly together? Um, and when a team member breaches that trust, can you restore that side as well? Um, you know, I can say from experience that team members can breach trust completely yet they retain trust in the firm as a whole. Now, typically when that sees, they wanna see some pretty heavy repercussions, right? Like I've had clients come to me and they don't even care about their refund, but they're like, don't let that happen to another client, <laughs> right? And they wanna understand the steps you're taking inside your firm to ensure that that won't happen again. And obviously they are gonna likely wanna be reassigned, but that takes a very high level of trust at the top level. Um, almost probably that furthest level of trust or one step below it that we talked before in the hierarchy of trust is like, we're going to rely upon your decision at least, right? And you have that as a business owner or as a manager. If you have that level of trust there, there can be a breach lower. And they're going to say, all right, you breached my trust in your management of that employee or in your hiring of that employee, but fix that. Go back and fix that and my trust will still be okay. Um, there's other times though that they look at you and said you should have had better oversight and because you didn't that's a breach of my trust with you and those ones are a little harder because probably they're right right you know um if your employee wired five hundred thousand dollars of theirs to the wrong person and they didn't catch it and they let it go yeah they're gonna say you should have helped us build a better system you should have done this right like 
we're out five hundred thousand dollars. We're declaring bankruptcy tomorrow. Sorry, right? Like, <laughs> um, you know, you use my payroll HR. What? <laughs> you know, those are major impacts that are going to, in their mind, flow up to you, and they just can't continue that relationship anymore. So while you can recover from most of them. And once again, even if it's a team member, how do you make it better for them? You know, is it now you have to drop down? Okay. Can we restore the trust in that team member or not? Or do we need to immediately reassign, which by doing that, we immediately boost our trust level up because we removed part of it. We made it better for them. Now let's work on restoring it for the firm as a whole. Or is it that we can go down there and say, let's coach this, Let's help build that trust in place by here's all the procedures we put in place to fix it. Here's the things we're doing to make it better, right? Um, And showing the client you're putting forth that effort to make it better goes a long way in restoring that trust. Yeah, I mean, and and I think that's one of the big differences is there's the individual trust and then the organizational trust. Um, And the organizational trust can be maintained by doing things like um, taking the individual off the file, um, assigning it to a higher caliber individual, um, throwing in some bonuses, some incentives, whether that's additional work or rather, uh, or uh, reductions on the invoices, things to do that. So, I mean, what are the things, you know, how do we build organizational trust? Is it built the same way as individual trust, um, where it's based on, you know, just a track record? So it's, it's the cumulative approach of the individual trusts that add up to the organizational trust, or are there other things that a company does to create organizational trust? And is some of that organizational trust just inherent? Well, one, one of the things I can think of, so the, the personal trust and the organizational trust are two different things, which I think is a kind of an interesting concept too. Uh, the organizational trust would be more about, uh, I think you guys mentioned about the systems, right? Is there a system in place to fix the problem? Is there a system in place to assign someone to be responsible for taking care of the issue? Is there a system in place to you know, process the refund or resend the, the product you know, that, 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 that we said the wrong one? Is that, so it's, it's the, 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 the trust into the organization is how the system in itself sort of auto responds, taking aside any personal personalities or personal issues with individuals. The personal trust, it's that was more about did that person apologize? Did they seem remorseful? You know, are, 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 did they change? Right? Because sometimes people are like, I want to see you change. You know, um, so yeah. So so I think it's two different things. You know, what, what one of it is 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 the individual proven that they will change for the better, and the and the one the organizational one is is there a system to remedy? So for example, refunding someone their money, it's an organizational trust issue reassigning it to someone else in the team is an organizational trust issue. Admitting to the customer that you were mistaken, that's the personal trust issue. And there's two different layers to that. And we got Bob. Bob showed up. Uh, Bob is uh, on the call, guys. Hey, hey guys. Bob, I don't know. Were you following the conversation? Did you... Uh, you know, not, not, not really. I, I joined in as as you talked about kind of refunds and I, I'm not exactly sure how it triggered, but yeah, so happy, we happy to join, to, say hello yeah. and, and be part no, of the conversation. Thank you, of course, let's cue you up. So we were talking about the concept of being a trusted advisor and we really got hung up on trust, like literally 
45 minutes talking about just trust and different layers of trust. And I think it's 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 important because um, you know you, in all this education that's out there, they talk about advisory and, and knowing your stuff and being a specialist and doing KPIs and stuff. And but but they but they don't talk about trust as an action as a strategy. So uh, Bob, some of, some of the things we talked about is how do you lose trust and how do you gain trust back. Uh, so do you have some examples maybe from your from 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 your work? You know when you lost trust with a client and what did you do to gain it back? Yeah, like maybe when you lost trust with an employer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you guys talk about it, but uh, like living up to your promises. You guys talked about that one uh, in terms of timing, format. Um, I, I guess I'm in a different, slightly different position, but like Mike, so I'm, I'm kind of leading the finance team in a, in a larger corporation and uh, my clients are like our other department heads, uh, not to mention the CEO himself. And I think, uh, yeah, you know, I'm still a, seen as a trusted advisor to the rest of the group and to the CEO himself. And like setting expectation is super important. Not to mention, like, you know, there's the timing piece and then the, the format piece. And it's always like better to over under promise and over deliver. And whatever you say, like give yourself 20% leeway just in case. Um, that's obviously, obviously very, very huge. Um, yeah, so like to me, when you say something, like it's gotta be delivered on time. Otherwise, you know, reset expectations or yeah, that's that's the trust breaker for me right there. I, I really like that you brought this into the topic. You know, this whole time we were talking about trust between an accountant and the customer. It was implied. We didn't even we never said it had to be about that. But then you were talking about, you know, my customer is the CEO, my customer is other department heads, my customer is the employee. Uh, my, my employee, my subordinate, my customer is it's, it's a teammate. And, um, and sometimes we forget that uh, the, the, the other layer, that the third layer of trust of this whole thing is, do people inside the organization trust each other? Is there a culture yeah, of trust? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Does that, even, does that permeate negatively or positively towards the relationship? So in other words, if you're working with a company that has proven to have incredible trust within the company, you know, does that change the perspective the customer has when the company makes a mistake or, or, or breaks some, some trust? You know, that's, that's actually a really good point. Let's, let's dive into that a bit more. I, I, I feel like if the team trusts each other to deliver things on time when asked of each other, and you can really trust each other to deliver on something for the customer, for the client, it, it's just so much lighter. Um, I remember when I was at a previous role, when I sent an email requesting something of someone, I actually had to send a reminder for myself to follow up on that email. Like it was so draining. Uh, when, but on the other hand, when you work with a really high performing team, like you ask someone once, you trust that they're going to get back to you. Or if they say, look, I can't do it by this time, I'll get back to you by another time. Like that level of you know, chemistry is just, it's so invaluable. And this is, there's like, there's this leadership saying that, uh, a players attract A players. And if you put A players with B players, A players will leave and then you get stuck um, you know, with, with a bunch of B players. So uh, yeah, like creating an A player organization is, a, I would say, the first step towards a great customer-oriented business. 
Pablo, I think you bring up a huge point there. And I think having that trust inside your team is perceived by your customer. Because especially if you're serving your customer in a team manner, um, you know, I know if that somebody else on my team made a mistake, I have the trust in them that they had the client's best interest in mind, which changes my response to the, to the client, to the customer completely, because I have such a trust in my team that they are making the best effort possible to make this right. And I know if it's a real problem, I also have the trust of how and the belief in my team of how they will respond to that customer. It's not going to be like, they're going to be like, oh, it's the customer's fault. It's not mine, right? You know, they're not going to get all defensive of it. They're not going to make this a bad situation from that side because I trust them implicitly that they're doing the right thing. So I think your internal culture is very reflective. When people look at your organization, it's super powerful as well. And the same way goes, I think internally, if you have a team member that the rest of the team knows clients don't trust, it starts breaking down the trust in your organization, right? Because if our clients can't trust that person, then why should we? So I don't know that you can actually separate those two. It's probably all in one, right? Which I think they, they are separate, but I think they interplay a lot together um, because of the, the organizational health and the impact that that has both ways. Yeah, I'd say they give you one little. Go ahead, go ahead, Andrew. Go ahead, Hector. Say a comment. I know oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, I have something to say. <laughs> so, no, what I wanted to I wanted to mention specifically in in our case, um, you know, I, I have we have a key employee that that she knows that we trust her judgment to make a decision on the fly that is the best decision for the customer, and that we they don't have to slow it down to wait to see what the boss says. And, and that's key, right? Because she'll come back and say, Hector, this happened. This is the mistake that happened. The customer asked for a refund or whatever. We broke some trust and this is what I did. And, and, and they don't even, when, when they don't say, was that okay? That's when you know you have evolved to where they are trusting you that, you, that all they're doing is communicating to you what, what the decision that they made and only if it's terrible you will let them know or make a coaching situation. But generally speaking, if, if you don't say anything, th there's this implicit trust that they acted the same way you would have acted. And that is just, and that is huge. And the other side of this is real life example. You know, you guys know that I have a YouTube channel, right? Um, so, uh, <laughs> so I get, I mean, it, this year has been incredible. I get like 10 to 12 emails a Day. I mean, it's just, I can't even manage of people asking questions in YouTube. And I would say out of the 10, the 10 that I answer, eight or nine come back and say, do you do consulting? Can I hire you as a consultant? You know, can, can I work with you? Or I would love to hire you for a couple hours. And the reason for that is because the signature of my email says, hire me, you know, I, you know, I, I your projects are fixed price, but this is a, my consultation rate. And generally speaking, when they answer back at me, my calendar is full. I'm booked like, you know, two weeks, three weeks in advance. And the customers are, it's pretty time sensitive because it's all tax related. And I usually respond, I'm not available, but if you work with my partner, Alex, which I trust with my life, you will get the same results. And when you say that, like, that's like the gauntlet, right? Otherwise, if I didn't say that, people are like, you know what? I have a relationship with you. You're the YouTuber. I've been watching you. I've been hearing you. I don't want you to pass me to someone else. When, when you lay down the gauntlet that says, 
I trust this person with my life, it changes things. And again, that's a that's a big one because I I semi trust them with my life. You know, like you know, you know, like everybody everybody should have some sort of skepticism, you know, for for other other folks. But again, you know, saying I trust this person explicitly, I trust this person that this person will give you the same result. That when I use that word, it makes it much easier for me to pass it to pass it down to a, to a team member. Uh, Andrew, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you know, when Jacob was talking about um, the relationship between the internal trust and the external trust of the customers in the individuals, they are definitely linked. But ultimately what happens is you may lose, you're probably going to lose internal trust before the external trust from the customer to the individual gets lost because you're going to be recognizing, hopefully recognizing those issues beforehand. Um, before they're they're turning up and becoming obvious to the individual. At least that's certainly been my experience. Like you start to realize who are the people on your team who are not responding, not following up. And and the client doesn't realize because Bob sent a follow-up reminder to himself because he knows he's got to follow up with that individual because they're unreliable. Um, and the organization hasn't lost the trust yet because there's someone covering, you know, covering the ass of the individual who is untrustworthy. Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, one of the hardest things to deal with in an organization is when, you, when you've lost that trust internally, how do you deal with it? Because um, we all know you should hire fast and fire faster, but I can tell you firsthand, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, you know, I've, I've had to do it in the past and the worst job in the world is having to let someone go. Um, and for me in the past, it's always been like, I've known there was, there was issues long before I executed just because I hate, I hate that process of having to, to go through um, letting someone go. And, and I think that that's why they're, they're definitely linked uh, because it's the individual that, that is untrustworthy, um, whether that's, if they're untrustworthy to the team, they're going to be untrustworthy to the client um, and the client just may not notice it as, as the organization trusts. But I think also, while we might lose trust with individual coworkers or colleagues, um, there's also individuals who could lose trust within the org with the organization. Um, and I can tell you firsthand, the reason I left my father's practice six or seven years ago or whatever it was, was because I had lost trust with the organization. And, and that was something that we had to rebuild at an organization level is not just trust with, with our employees, uh, or trust with our customers, but also trust with our employees. How are we going to prove to them that we're committed to culture, that we're committed to being more than, you know, that traditional practice, that traditional mentality, and that we're committed to, to them. And that was something that took a long time to rebuild. Um, and I, I'm sure, I, and actually I can tell you, it's still not to this day 100% rebuilt. And I can tell you it's not, even though people will tell me, yeah, yeah, everything's great because I see behaviors that are consistent with, you know, the way people would react and try to deal with things because of their lack of trust in, in how the organization would handle it. Um, you know, when like my personal approach to anyone is like, I could care less if you make a mistake, I just want it brought to my attention. Whereas in the old organizational style, um, if people made a mistake, it was, you were, it was unacceptable, you were made an example of, you were often made an example of in front of other people within the organization. Um, 
And, and you can see across our organization, certain people who have adapted immediately, recognized that there's a change, bought in and, and forgiven the organization, if it were, and recognized that there's been a change. And then there's those people who are still, still haven't quite gotten over, don't trust yet. That, Dude, it's, it's traumatic, man. Like you yeah. can't just get over stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and especially like, I mean, we've got people who've been with our organization for 20 years. And, and like, I, I have people who've been in my organization for 20 years who've been in my office bawling their eyes out because of the way that they felt they were treated in the organization. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's traumatic, but um, I think, you know, anything is, anything is possible um, if you've got the right attitude and the right approach and the more time that you've got, the better your chance of repairing those relationships. Mm-hmm. That was a mouthful. <laughs> we'll let you we'll let you comment, Bob. What, what what are your thoughts about that? Um, I think we talked enough about trust. <laughs> All right, let's, let's wrap. So let's wrap it up with uh, the I guess the advisory portion of it with, with our work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hector, yeah, Hector, yeah. one one thing I'll jump in there. Bob approves. <laughs> on on the trust piece, so much of it comes back to being emotionally intelligent and really understanding what you're doing uh, from an emotional standpoint, right? Because trust is an emotional connection, and it's something as accountants we are uh, we like numbers, we like facts, we like things, and trust is an emotional thing. And sometimes stepping back to the objective side and looking at it from an emotional standpoint can really help us move in the right direction, right? And then build emotional culture. Like what is the emotions that you're driving with your actions? Um, Because actions do drive emotions. And I think looking at trust as an emotional piece and not just as there or not there uh, can help quite a bit at times. Yeah, but, but some people don't consider themselves as emotional or the emotional type, you know? Um, so like, don't you think that those people might feel that if I'm forced to like try to see it from an emotional point of view, but that's not my thing, that will come out as, as fake or, or just, you know, trying too hard. So I think all of us should be emotionally intelligent and learning emotion intel- emotional intelligence is something that will help all of us, right? Being emotionally intelligent doesn't mean I'm emotional and I'm going to cry every day. Um, it doesn't mean that at all, right? But it's meaning understanding, part of emotional intelligence is the psychology of things, right? And we talk about that all the time. And I think emotionally intelligent, people say, oh, I'm not emotional. But if you said you need to think about the psychology of things, well, they like, oh yeah, no, totally agree. So while word choice does matter, I think, um, I think just, considering that trust is an emotional response. Like you trust somebody based on an emotional response. Deep down, that is what drives trust is an emotional response. So I think you have to consider that as we look at things. Um, I mean, we're, it sounds like we only have two minutes, but uh, I just, you know, going back to the, I guess the topic of trust advisor I think that's kind of the new term now and everybody's trying to move towards that. So I think we kind of talk about what it means to trust, but is there a way to differentiate based on the word trust? And is there a way to differentiate based on the word advice? As in, everyone's a trusted advisor now, but like, how are you different as a trusted advisor versus someone else? 
two minutes. Let's go. <laughs> Let's try this out. Well, I, I first of all, trusted advisor is certainly becoming a cliche, and you you cannot differentiate yourself because you are a trusted advisor, because those are table stakes, right? Um, maybe you're mm. differentiating yourself because you're providing advisory, um, but mm. being a trusted advisory, in my opinion, are table stakes. That's like saying I'm differentiating myself because I'm a cloud accountant. Like, come on, people, table stakes. This is the right. Like, yeah. this is this yeah, is it was, it was differentiating like four years ago. Now it's like everyone's a cloud accountant, and and trust advisor was like differentiating a year ago, but like now everyone's trusted advisor, right? Yeah. So, can you really oh. do advisory without being trusted? No. Or are you just talking to yourself? <laughs> <laughs> but you can still get paid, maybe. <laughs> that's, um, a good, that's a good point. Uh, to Webs, to, uh, to 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 Andrew's point about the cloud, the cloud accountant. Um, you know, I think being a desktop accountant now is a differentiator. But that's a yeah, right. Story. There you go. The, the I, I can go story. on premise. There yeah, go. absolutely. <laughs> so uh, the 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 table stakes of being trusted is there, and. The, some of the trust you can only build over time. There, there's some trust that just Very requires true. two years to get there or three years to get there, period, okay? But there are some trust you can get up front before you start the relationship. And that has a whole bunch of uh, you know, connotations, right? So your, how good your brand is, uh, how well recommended you come with others, your ratings, your, um, your recommendations, your LinkedIn, your, your, your views, the content that you have written, the amount of exposure that you've put yourself in by having a strong position on whatever it is that the customer might also be attracted uh, towards, uh, the, you know, the, the, how much value you have added up front, created up front before starting the relationship. So there are some things you can do preemptively to build that trust, but, but, but most of it really happens over time. So there's that trust that you build uh, uh, preemptively with your brand, with your content, the trust that you build long-term by, by doing what you said you were going to do. And then the short-term trust, which is basically how you execute the very first portion of the engagement, uh, which tells the person, oh, these people know what they're doing. They're professionals. I'm getting my money's worth right now. Right? So obviously you, you got to strategically look at it in different, in different, uh, in different layers. But, um, but for the people that are asking, hey, how do I differentiate myself with the concept of trust? For right now, if we're talking about differentiating, that means that we're looking for new business. And if we're looking for new business, it's all about our brand and our marketing. So the only way to differentiate yourself, in my opinion, uh, in being trusted before you talk to the client is expose yourself with content, with videos, with podcasts, with adding value upfront, give free information. That's not gimmicky. That's not... Uh, designed to turn it into uh, you, you know, a lead or whatever, like give that value up front. So people say, you know what? This person knows what they're talking, at least the, the simple things. They know what they're talking about. They've done it before. They understand customers, other customers uh, like me, because they've, they've done this specific thing just so like me. And he specializes I've, on me, right? I've tried exposing myself and then I got into jail for that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, well, exposing no, yourself in a good way. That was a Canadian joke. That was a, that was a Canadian joke. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I was going to say, is that a Florida joke? You know, do people expose themselves in Florida? 
no, that's uh, good good advice actor yeah for, for sure they're but, giving up free content the relating the yeah that's that's all really really cool and i think if you really want to be that trusted business you got to start with your current clients because if your current clients don't trust you you're never going to gain that outside of there um just like you know even a referral network if your client truly trusts you the person they refer to you they're probably going to communicate some of that trust to them so the first time they talk to you they already have a level of trust. Um, it goes back to Hector, your point with Alex. Like when a client is talking to a friend of theirs and like, yeah, I trust Jacob with my life, right? Go to him for accounting. That person comes to me. Most of the time we have a level of trust that's already pretty high, even though we haven't developed it because they trust the person who just trusts me with their life, right? Um, so I think even just Do you actually use outward, the term though, like, when I hear that, like, it's just like, oh, really? Like, it sounds pretty gimmicky. Like, I so trust this person. I have actually life. had clients say that in emails that they've tagged me in to other people. Uh-huh. Like, oh, hey, we had this conversation. I trust Jacob with my life. He does control my life. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. I guess if it's genuine, it, it does work. Yeah. Um, because there's times we are involved enough with a client that, we do have our hands in that pretty deeply, especially when I get into higher level advice, we're helping them run their organization. We're helping them run their life. Um, and they rely upon us for that. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things, Bob, that you got me, um, well, I mean, we had, we certainly were on it uh, before, but you were a big help when we were working together on Google reviews, which obviously yeah, those, right. those stem from you being able to deliver first with your customers. Yeah but then leveraging that as, as effectively a marketing tool and how critical yeah. that, that is in this day and age, right? Forgetting yeah. the Google. It's called, it's called shaming them into giving reviews. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> Don't tell them our secret, Bob. Yeah, poke, poke, nudge, nudge. <laughs> Give us a review. <laughs> Three times, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, so do, we, do, we, do we end this? Are we having too much fun or... We should end it, right? Let's wrap it up. Yeah. So I think actually we should start a whole thing now on digital trust. Right. No. That's a good one. That's a good topic. Uh, yeah. uh, but that, for, for another episode. For another episode. Um, I wanted to, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to share my my screen here for a second. Um, I'm working on some slides, and I'm going to I'm going to show one that way I don't get in trouble with with uh, people I'm building this for, which is pretty obvious by the slide now. <laughs> Point. So uh, I, I, was, uh, I was hired to create some content for Intuit about uh, just about advisory in general. And, and this is one, just one of the slides that contains so much uh, good stuff that I wanted. I think it's a good sort of, st- not step-by-step, step, but some tips, sorry, bullet points. Like, because I think that the best way to avoid losing trust with your client is to have a bank of good things that you did for them, right? You have this, this, this accumulated asset of goodwill of all the great things you've done with them. So the one time that, gosh, you're, you're human, you made a mistake, you broke the trust. It's not enough to 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 just destroy the whole thing. You know, it's like a husband and wife relationship, right? I screw up all the time, right? But I've done so many good things over the 20 years that I've been with my wife that I have a you know, I have a lot of goodwill built in. So it's not like, oh, I, I forgot to do one thing and that's it, it's over, getting a divorce, because that's not how it works, right? We, we usually tend to 
build a bank of good things that the person has, the company, the firm, the customer, whatever. And then if they make a couple of mistakes, we let them pass or we give people the opportunity to redeem themselves. But if you don't have this, this, this bank of goodwill, you probably won't be able to, you, you won't be given the opportunity to redeem yourself. Let, let, let's just call it that. So I wanted to share this slide with you. This is a summary of uh, a book called The Trusted Advisor by David Meister, which is probably part of what gave this whole term uh, birth, right? So you know, the book came out, the book is immensely popular. Believe it or not, this is not a gimmicky title. So it's actually a really neat book, great management book for consultants. And, um, and this is what he summarized as the top suggestions from customers that they want their professional services to do in order to build trust as an advisor. So number one is uh, impact versus visibility. And what, 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 what they say in this book is not just be visible, not just be there, not just show up, right? Just make sure that that's not what it's all about. It's not about logging hours. It's not about spending the day. It's about having actual impact on my bottom line and on my business. And I think that a lot of us spend a lot more time measuring the stuff that we control and the stuff that we see to give the illusion of showing up versus measuring at the end what we do does it actually impact our customers, yes or no. So that's one. Uh, number two is be proactive, which basically means do more things on spec, do more things that just, this problem just showed up. Don't tell me that you don't do that, right? So be a little bit more proactive in, in solving the problem or, or finding a solution for me or do a little bit of research, right? And, and this happens all the time. Clients get these random letters. And, and when I'm busy, I'm like, dude, that letter has nothing to do with accounting. I'm not even going to read it, right? And in other cases, what the clients really want is, look, I've, I sent it to you because I don't understand it. And even if it has nothing to do with accounting, I trust your judgment. Now, of course, you don't want to be your, your customer's correspondence curation department because you will go insane. But th this is what they mean by that, right? So invest some time uh, in doing work that's brand new, that's not in scope, that's not you know what the traditional accountant is supposed to do, and that's it. The third one is lead us with strategic thinking. And this is a really interesting one, which is basically saying, don't wait for us to ask you whether or not our strategy to sell in this country, our strategy to change the, the cost structure or our strategy to change our commission structure is good or not. Like don't wait for us to, to get you involved in strategy. You be the one that leads our strategy, right? So be proactive at telling us, have you thought about the compensation plan? Have you thought about a retention strategy? Have you thought about selling in Mexico? Have you thought about shifting your resources from one side to that side because it seems to be a better business move. So that's the third one. The fourth one is jump on new data. So what, what, what they're saying here is uh, when new information arrives, you know, be prepared to manage it, right? So if I'm in a business that's in ripe for disruption and you're starting to see uh, some new industry, some new companies, some new people, potentially going to eat our lunch, taking our clients in a new innovative way. Don't just be passe about that data. When you see that, when you see that information, bring it forth, talk to us about it, be proactive about it, right? Jump on it, I'm sorry, saying jump on it, like be all over it as if 
you know, you were part of, of, of my business, right? Do the analysis. Don't wait for us to give it to you. So uh, the fifth one here is meet and brainstorm. And believe it or not, uh, customers like structured brainstorming. They like when you say, hey, let's meet this quarter to talk about strategy. They really, really enjoy that. But they, they like when it comes from you, like not just uh, for me to hire you and brainstorming, because if you're charging per meeting or you're charging per hour, customers are not going to say, I really, I really hope I can pay my accountant an extra four hours today. Let me proactively tell them to come brainstorm with us, right? So unless they have a specific problem in mind or something they want to solve, uh, but that's what they mean, right? So, so call us and, and, and meet us uh, to, to brainstorm. The other one is understand our inner workings. And you, you think, you would think off the bat that customers don't want you to get all up in their business, right? But in reality, according to the trusted advisor, they actually want you to understand inter-office dynamics. They want you to understand what technology they're using. They want you to understand uh, their strategic approach to decision-making. They want you to understand uh, where they purchase their fleet or, or, or the type of tools that they have. And they, they want you to understand their struggles because somehow if you understand our inner workings and sit in our meetings and brainstorm with us, somehow my hope is that some additional insight can come forth where we don't have to think about trying to extract it out of you, right? So that's really what they, what they mean by that. And uh, the, the next one is, uh, benchmark within and outside our industry. So co uh, proactively tell us how we're doing, like uh, benchmarking, right? Are expenses in, in line with other companies in this industry? Are we growing as fast as our competitors? You know, uh, do we have any new competitors in, in the market, right? Are other companies that are not within the same industry, but they're tangential? Are they doing things interesting that you think are, are relevant to me and what I'm doing, right? So th this whole concept of not just benchmarking within the industry, but outside the industry. And a lot of my clients, an example in real life, they like when I give them examples of how I deal with my employees about my issues, right? When I go, you know what? I had, I had an employee that did that to me. They didn't show up for two days and then came back with this story and I dealt with it this way. And sometimes they just like to hear that you are also a business owner and that you also deal with the same uh, type of problems, even if your company is your your customer is a manufacturer of toys and you're an accountant and there's no no connection between the industries, they at least know that you are both in business are both having similar management level uh, struggles. And the last one is competitive insights. You know, so believe it or not, especially customers that uh, that work with accountants or consultants that are niche specific, believe it or not. Deep inside, they're like, if you work with other companies that are in this industry, I expect you to give me best practices, right? I expect you that if you, you saw that some other companies doing this that really, really works, I expect you to kind of tell me, look, other people are doing the same thing. You should probably jump on it or, or the other way, right? So like another client tried this type of marketing and it didn't work. So they kind of want to get some inside knowledge about what the competitors are doing and hopefully you have access to some of that so that's that's my summary of the trusted advisor by david meister and i think that if you do any of these some of these and you put it in your bank of a uh, goodwill 
any breaches of trust or, or mistakes are going to be uh, opaqued by this. You guys have any comments on this? Oh, I think this is a great summary. You know, if you build that bank of goodwill, um, that will give you the ability to overcome those small hiccups that are going to happen inevitably as your business operates. Um, so build that, build that bank of goodwill. Um, do your best and forget the rest, as my dad so often says. Um, so on that note, I think it's probably time to uh, say goodnight, Bob, uh, Jacob. Thanks for for joining us, Hector. Thank you guys. Always, and uh, we'll see everyone else soon. Welcome, 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 welcome. Unicorn, unicorn. <laughs> Join Andrew Wall, Hector Garcia, and Michael Lee. One mission, one rule. Make accounting fun. Welcome to Friday Night Live with Accountants. Are you ready?